We'd had our first session with the Justice League after so long apart, and it had been okay. The Crime Syndicate of America had debuted, and Brainstorm had been an excellent Silver Age villain. But the stories were dragging because of one-by-one -one spotlights of each hero's actions. We had one more round of stories before we'd move on to new characters. Would things get any better, or would the Justice League get downright miserable? Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Alright, we have more JLA this time around for the year of 1965. Oh, oh what a time to be alive and what weird stories we have in <laughs> DC Comics at this point. Um... Matt and I were discussing how some of these weren't necessarily terrible, but also some of them were not great, and how these get better near the end. And frankly, they, they do in a way that was kind of surprising. I'll agree with that. Um, it's, it's not in a... Not in a way that we normally see slash expect from DC Comics at this era, but I am kind of excited to say that it's very much a Gardner Fox improvement. In the sense that it seems like he just gets better at writing these stories. As opposed to the comics, like the, the medium of comics improved, like in the year 1965. One thing that I think is worth like calling out at the beginning is that I, sort of speaking to that, uh, it doesn't feel like the visuals or the like layouts or any of the visual inventiveness is... There's nothing special going on there. Like, we're not even seeing, like, the one, two, three panels. It's very standard layouts. Uh, sometimes you get things that are extra tall. You, you get that. But it's not, it's not that that's doing anything interesting. It really does feel like just execution on story structure and coming up with some cool ideas. They haven't quite gotten the art of visual storytelling down yet. They're getting closer. Each year we see them taking different risks and making different decisions that show more dynamic things. I think they're getting more comfortable with showing more dynamic action, more dynamic things happening on the page. We have yet to see the, the writers rely on the visuals to give the reader the information that the narrative boxes tell them. Yeah. Yeah, that is... That is very much still the case. So I imagine that's going to be the case for a while. After all, this is this is this is kind of in the Stan Lee era of storytelling as well. So that's we're going to have a lot of similar like narrative boxes that still go like, you know, meanwhile at the Hall of Justice, um, we won't get out of that until probably the 70s or the late 1960s at best I uh, but i suspect that you're right uh one one thing that i i feel like i should call out because it fascinated me like literally earlier today uh just had some youtube just going through random things and it's nice to listen to people like talk about stuff and up comes somebody talking about like japanese uh like prints and especially in this case it was Hey, like nineteen, I think eighteen, like eighties or sixties or somewhere in there. Like 
books and that were like picture books like you had like prints and then narration and descriptions of the story around it and the thing that absolutely blew my mind was we've seen like panels be like numbered one two three or have arrows pointing between them this was a thing where the artist like put the print on paper and then the 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 editor like arranged the the words uh, the characters around that space and at the end of each like section because it couldn't be like broken up it was more like word balloons than not at the end of each section it was like here's a little like key icon and then find that icon somewhere else to pick it up so you'd have like uh okay word balloon word or text 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 little like hourglass indicator look for the hourglass on the right hand side of the page and then find another spot and read across because it wasn't just it was the way things were laid out wasn't intuitive enough to be like oh i'm just reading right to left up down uh in the case of japanese uh you actually had to go like searching for it and it's oh man i'm all of the like exposition dumps that i've seen this is such an inelegant way of handling it at least the 60s are better than that <laughs> yeah i mean that that what you're describing kind of reminds me how in newspapers they like continued on page 64 and it was like the front yeah. page and you're like why is this why do i have to look several pages deep for the continuation of the story in the bottom right page for an extra paragraph you know it's it you're right this is this is more elegant it is still not better for yeah. a visual medium. <laughs> yeah, the the one that got me was a panel where the thing that changed in the panel was at the bottom of the page because and it was it was a tall panel. It's just like I have to look all the way down to the bottom to see how Flash is like breaking, getting everybody like up and out of a thing. And it's like no, that's that's not where my brain looks first. <laughs> nope. Um. So in an effort to keep Joanne happy, we shall begin. Uh, we're going to start with Justice League of America, number 33, January 1965. Aliens appear on Earth and take a handful of the Justice League to another world and explain to them that there is a alienator entity, some kind of force that turns beings on a planet to another type of being and makes them subservient to the force of that did this to them it's very much a gardner fox story um several of the justice league members fight it they defeat it but they have found that they are too late and the alienator ray or changing power has made it towards earth and the leftover justice league members who are not on this case have been turned into different types of aliens and they have to defeat them and make them not aliens anymore it was very much a this is an adam strange story any story that has a bodiless alien force that threatens another planet just to me sounds like every time adam strange runs into a cosmic entity that threatens ran like it is just how gardner fox writes what am i doing today stories it is it is a thing only he does he's the only writer that does this and it's probably worth calling out we're gonna see i guess a couple times uh the rest of the JLA goes bad stories in in some way and not not actually yeah. like bad but oh there's the evil JLA kind of a, yeah a perverted version of them <laughs> um 
Justice League number 34, March 1965. Dr. Destiny, he appeared previously in some Justice League stories. He's a guy who can make things happen through the power of dreams, which is such a weird power. Um, but Dr. Destiny effectively sends nightmares to the Justice League to get them to like effectively show him how he how they would defeat certain situations and then he makes those situations happen in real life in ways that they can't defeat them and it is it's a weird story partially because dr destiny doesn't really realize that he's doing it at the time it doesn't like it doesn't come across that he like knows what he's doing until like he realizes that until he hears the jla is having the problems that he was thinking about and he's like, oh, sweet, I can just keep doing this. It kind, of, it kind of stumbles into the villainry of this story. Um, and they just end up punching Destiny so that he's unconscious and not dreaming, even though he never left his jail cell. It's a very, it's not really a satisfying ending to the story, but it's just kind of a, huh, that was weird sort of a moment. But I do like Dr. Destiny as a villain. He's just kind of a fun, like, that's that's unique. It's a unique power is dreams. We don't see that used often enough in comics. Uh, Justice League of America, number 35, May 1965. The three demons from the initial Felix Faust story, I don't know if you recall that back in the Justice League stories uh, a couple episodes back, Felix Faust was a sorcerer who tried to make a deal with three demons to get really cool powers. And uh, rather, he was a sorcerer who tried to do that. And... Uh, he lost, and the demons became a problem for the Justice League, and they sealed them away in magical tombs. These demons are at it again, this time trying to get the Justice League under their control so that they can get the Justice League to free them. And once again, we see Green Lantern's ring doing whatever it wants to solve the problem, where the demons banish the Justice League into oblivion, and then as soon as they get into, the, <laughs> into Mount Justice... They just disintegrate and are sent back to their tombs. And the Justice League reappears. Oh, and everybody's like, what happened? And Green Lantern's like, oh yeah, I put a failsafe that should the demons ever get out of their prison and they come here to get vengeance on us, everything is reverted that they did. The ring can just do that. And it's it's extra unsatisfying because we've talked about how much I at least hate those keep a secret from the reader stories but at least with those it's sort of telegraphed that there's something out of place here what's going on this was just this was deus ex machina yeah it the ring is definitely serving the purpose of whatever we needed to do to, to return the status quo um and that is just so disappointing in because it's being used for different things in the green lantern stories so to see it in Justice League be used for at all is kind of boring. Uh, Justice League number 36, June 1965. Uh, a Justice League while trying to help or trying to cheer up some uh, handicapped young men at a boy's home end up running afoul of Brainstorm again. I don't know if you remember him from last episode. Um, and Brainstorm effectively debilitates the justice league each in the same way that some of the boys are debilitated in the uh young orphanage for boys and they must overcome their handicaps to defeat brainstorm thus inspiring the young lads to not be so downtrodden about their uh or depressed about their own handicaps it's a the sentiment is sweet 
But at the same time, I can't help but feel that this is slightly insensitive. I have thoughts on this, and I'm just going to put a big ol' asterisk because I do. I, I am very fortunate. I do not deal with any chronic health issues. Um, and even if I did, I have a whole lot of factors stacked up in my corner. If, if something were to happen tomorrow, I have a lot of factors stacked in my corner that would enable me to be accommodated. And I think that's probably the right way to put it because this, I don't know the history of disability and especially of medical treatment because at this time, because what this is doing, this, this story is framing the big challenge that disabled folks are facing is being worn down and being, being depressed and not feeling that they can overcome their disabilities. And I, with that big asterisk in mind, my understanding is that what is more the issue is the accommodation of broader society to people with disabilities. I, I don't want to speak too much for, uh, I'm thinking of one particular friend that I have, uh, who is dealing with some issues and I believe I don't I believe that I'm not speaking out of hand by saying that the biggest problems that they face are not the issues themselves, but access to care being taken seriously, uh, having accommodations and frankly, like having uh, uh, they aren't they haven't been able to work consistently like and the way that we have a social safety net for people who are not able to work because of medical issues, it's not great. And I don't know to what degree this might just be like the peak of discourse at this time. Like this might be legitimately like this is the cutting edge of the discussion around disabilities at this time, 1965, as you noticed. Uh, or it might be just at that time, hey, if you, if you, can't get a diagnosis because the medical technology isn't there. Well, that that's another thing entirely rather as compared to accessibility. But here in this current day and age, it feels very much uh, abled tourism, I guess. Yeah, um, I would have. <laughs> it's making able bodied people feel good about their support. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. Again, the sentiment is nice. The sentiment to accept and not patronize uh, disabled folk is a good message. The way it is presented is kind of how your grandfather might cheer on someone at the special olympics earnestly earnestly supportive but maybe just a little bit not okay there's actually a, a thing specifically in there that I, maybe not grandfather but i i think i remember reading in the mail bucket because uh, i actually i did actually skim through the mail bucket talking about this issue uh i think that this is sort of a retread of a jsa story not entirely not perfectly but the same fundamental concept uh and yeah okay 20 years difference 
uh, yeah, maybe it maybe it rang a little more true or a little more uh, cutting edge in 1940, whatever. It's worth taking note of and acknowledging the progress that has been made in that conversation, but also it's like, oof, this might not fly today. Um, yeah. So with that said, we're going to move on to JLA number 37 and 38, August 1965 and September of 1965. These are a two-parter story spread over these two issues. Um, which actually has very little to do with the Justice League of America at all. This is actually probably one of the better stories in this run um, because of how intricate it is. Um, not because Johnny Thunder is in it, but Johnny hey. Thunder is pretty much the main character. Uh, <laughs> um, so the story begins on Earth 2 with Johnny Thunder, who is the snapper car to the jsa's jla if that makes any sense um johnny thunder also if you don't remember from our coverage of the jsa back many moons ago um is a young lad who has the ability to say the uh, mystic phrase say you and summons a mystical magical thunderbolt creature that will do pretty much whatever he wants johnny is bummed that the jsa hasn't been taking him on missions much like snapper car gets bummed when the jla doesn't take him on missions and Johnny calls the Thunderbolt down and he says, hey, where you been? And Thunderbolt's like, ah, you're wasting me by not using me. We should be doing cool stuff. You know, I, I bet if I jumped to Earth-1, that Johnny Thunder would know what to do. And Johnny Thunder goes like, that's a good point. Let's go to Earth-1 and check out what my counterpart looks like. When they arrive on Earth-1, Earth-2 Johnny Thunder realizes that Earth-1 Johnny Thunder is a criminal. He's just kind of a jerk, all-around bad dude. Earth-1 Johnny Thunder, we're just going to refer to him as bad Johnny Thunder, punches good Johnny Thunder from Earth-2, knocks him out, and because he knows the mystic phrase as well, takes control of the Thunderbolt, even though he didn't have a Thunderbolt in his dimension on Earth-1. Now, bad Johnny Thunder is in, is in control of the Thunderbolt, and basically starts to get the Thunderbolt to help him be a thief. Afraid of running afoul of the Justice League on Earth-1, Bad Johnny Thunder says, Hey, Thunderbolt, why don't you go and prevent the Justice League from ever becoming superheroes? Just to make my life easier. So the Thunderbolt goes back in time and does a series of things that I can't help but think really demonstrate that the Thunderbolt itself is more powerful than the Green Lantern Ring in the 1960s, let alone just a giant, huge plot hole. Yep. So, for example, the Thunderbolt stops Krypton from exploding, so Clark never lands on Earth. The Thunderbolt prevents Professor Erdell's machine from transporting the Martian Manhunter to Earth. The Thunderbolt prevents Abin Sur's plane, or spacecraft, from landing on Earth, thus summoning Hal Jordan to become the Green Lantern. It stops the lightning bolt from hitting Barry Allen's lab in the Central City Crime Lab. My favorite, this one, is just bananas. Instead of preventing Bruce Wayne's parents from dying, the Thunderbolt just punches Bruce Wayne on his first night as Batman and makes Bruce Wayne think he'd be a terrible vigilante. Let's be clear. I, I have a, a one-liner or so that I want to go into later on about this, but there is absolutely no question that the Thunderbolt is a brat. <laughs> It is, it also is just like, 
does the Thunderbolt not like Batman? Everyone else gets to have mildly normal, happy lives, but Batman still gets to be an orphan. <laughs> like, that's that's some particular levels of extra-dimensional spite. So, just, just to think about that. So the Justice League is no longer a thing. Johnny Thunder feels, bad Johnny Thunder feels secure in his criminal activity now to do whatever he feels like. The JSA, however, back on Earth 2 is like, hey, didn't we call Johnny to show up at some point? And we haven't heard from him in hours. We should probably figure out where he is. So the Justice Society that is assembled at this moment is Earth 2's Adam, Earth 2's Hawkman, Dr. Fate, Earth 2's Flash, Earth 2's Green Lantern, and Mr. Terrific. We haven't encountered Mr. Terrific before in our coverage, but at this point, Mr. Terrific is the man of a thousand talents, and he is the champion of fair play. Whatever that means. Um... (laughs) He's just good at shit. It's very ambiguous. He's really good. I mean, he's he's just Batman. I mean, he's good at a thousand different things, and he believes in in fairness. What do you What do you want? That's that's Mister Terrific. Um, they realize that Johnny is on Earth Two, or rather, good Johnny is on Earth One. They go to Earth One. He explains to them that Earth One Johnny Thunder beat the crap out of him and took the thunderbolt so the jsa goes to stop bad johnny from using the thunderbolt for more nefarious uh deeds johnny overpowers them for a moment the thunderbolt gets a little in over its head bad johnny asks to be whisked away to safety and in and then has a stroke of genius by saying hey you know what instead of the justice league getting their powers from those original incidents Make a bunch of my criminal friends get their powers from the original incidents. So, one of his friends gets the Green Lantern ring. One of his friends gets the, the powers of the Flash. This one doesn't make any sense to me. One of them becomes Batman, and I don't know what that means. I think he just told the Thunderbolt to kill his buddy's parents. And give him a bunch of money, presumably. I don't know. That's how he made him the Batman. Um, One of them becomes Superman, which is not how that works, unless the Thunderbolt is able to turn someone into a Kryptonian, put him on Krypton, and then send him to Earth. I don't know if that's possible. Um, So it's very very strange. (laughs) So now we have a villainous Justice League made of criminals and the JSA combating each other. And eventually they track Bad Johnny to the moon, where they're having it out in a fight, and Bad Johnny is so overwhelmed by the destruction and absolute power slinging from this battle, he gets so distraught. And he says, gosh, I wish this never happened. And the Thunderbolt's like, thank God. And just reverts everything that ever happened back to square one to the moment before Johnny Thunder, good Johnny Thunder, said, hey, let's go to Earth One. The Thunderbolt can retcon. It is the most powerful thing in the DC universe at this moment. It has it has the ability to retcon storylines. It can retroactively change continuity, and with ease. Like this, it wasn't even the yeah. like a major. It was like one of the three big things that it did in the course of that first issue to undo to undo all the tragedies in the backstories. It was cavalier. 
yeah it it chose what way to do it it didn't even just say oh i prevent this from happening it's like oh it turned krypton's core into lead so it wouldn't explode and it punched the lightning bolt that was going to hit barry's lab to turn him into the flash out of the sky and it blocked the yellow beam of energy that knocked out out of uh knocked abensur's ship out of orbit like it genuinely shifted the events as opposed to just nullifying them it actively participated in preventing those things from happening and then it just negated all of it with a snap of its fingers like it didn't have to go back and stop itself from doing those things like barry allen has to do when he manipulates the time stream it was just like oh i can just make none of that have ever happened there is now a big old plot hole (laughs) yeah that johnny thunder the jughead snapper car equivalent character has the most powerful entity at his disposal in the dc universe on earth too and hasn't apparently has not been using him for the past six years or whatever exactly it's apparently he's just been taking a break i'll take that back not jughead i would say probably jimmy olsen he's a very jimmy olsen-esque character um just kind of a, a, a tag along um We'll move on now to Justice League number 39, November 1965. This is just a reprint of three previous JLA stories. Boy, that was quick. (laughs) Justice League number 40, November 1965. Uh, This one's a weird one, but I kind of love it. Uh, Andrew Helm is a guy with a very particular backstory that almost should make him a superhero, but he doesn't turn out to be one. Andrew Helm is the son of rich people who were on a... uh, excursion in a part of asia let's say uh it's slightly ambiguous but also very coded to be like tibet i I think they specifically said say in like the tibetan region or the himalayas something like that um his parents are killed by raiders and the boy is left alive but he is taken in by a group of monks who teach him much this is just the backstory for the shadow minus the parents dying i mean this is basically the, the, the plot of The Shadow. Uh, Andrew Helm uh, is brought up by these Himalayan monks. They teach him many things. One such thing is astral projection. And uh, he uses that ability to start figuring out how to manipulate other people, not in a nefarious way, but in a way to understand humans and human nature. Eventually, after he's done being a monk... For a while, he buys a private island, and he creates a machine that effectively can manipulate the conscience of humans, basically giving them one uh, or amping it up so that they might uh, feel bad about the the bad actions that they're doing and prevent them from doing bad things. So far, so good. So, uh, Helm turns the machine on, and then Astral projects to go around the world to start seeing if the machine is taking effect. One of the things that he sees is two of the Flash's enemies turn themselves into him. The Shark and Mirror Master. Then he sees uh, Batman fighting Captain Cold and the Penguin. And they both turn themselves into Batman. Uh, around the world, foreign leaders who are vaguely supposed to look like Koreans and or Castro uh, stop their attempts at waging war. Uh, the Castro analog stops all of his nukes from launching and then orders them to all be destroyed and deconstructed. And the peace between vaguely warring 
Asian groups is brokered so that everybody stops fighting. And the Justice League is pretty confounded. They're like, well, like, we're not complaining, but also, what the heck happened? And they're, you know, scratching their heads just a tad. And Andrew Helm is like, well, perfect, my machine is working now to get back to my corporeal body, because if I let the machine run too long, basically the opposite happens. Everybody loses a conscience, because that seems like how that would work. Sure. Um, unfortunately, Andrew has spent too much time out of his body, and now cannot go back in because his body has died, so he is now just a spirit roaming around. So he can't get back into his body to turn the machine off. So the worst has now come to pass. Everybody loses their conscience. Except for Superman. So Superman is at the Justice League, and he's talking to everybody, and he's like, Hey, so uh, we got some other stuff to do. Why don't we check some stuff out? And they're like, what's the point? Let everybody do whatever they want. It doesn't bother us. And Superman's like, well, this is weird. What the heck happened to you guys? Hey, Green Lantern, can I see your ring? Green Lantern's like, sure. Why should I have it? There's no reason. Gives it to Superman. Superman uses the ring with absolutely no training and makes everybody come out from under the spell of the conscience machine. And everybody's like, whoa, that was weird. And he's like, yeah, um, we should probably figure out what's going on. So the team finds the island that Andrew Helm has bought. Um, they get onto it. They fight off his safety measures that he has created to put in place to protect the machine turn the machine off, and they realize that Andrew Helm is dead, but his spirit is elsewhere. They don't really con communicate with the spirit, but they're like, well, poor guy, I hope uh, hope it's he's okay, but no man can tell another man. No man can manipulate another man's conscience. It's for them to find. They do a very much like moral of the story kind of a thing where, you know, conscience is something that you have to like develop over time through action and learning and understanding. Which was, again, the sentiment is good here, but a little bit on the nose. It, a little bit. I, I have thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some interesting things here. It's like, like I said, they do like a Castro analog. They also show a uh, couple of color, two black people, presumably in the United States, being barred from something by a police officer and above them and says, you know, no longer will people be prevented from vote from, you know, from living their lives as equals and voting and having proper representation. Voting. It is very specifically voting. And it was just like, whoa, okay. And I want to show that panel to everybody who says comics were never political. Yeah. I'm, um, that is that is one of the other things that's worth noting is like, but even before this particular issue, like this issue is very political and it is fascinating to see some of the choices. And I want to talk on that, but also, even for the past, like, year's worth of comics, maybe even more, like, many of them have either opened with or had, like, in the place of ads throughout uh, a page uh, talking about, like, UNESCO or uh, other, like, UN organizations that are meant to, are, are specifically, like, they're talking about, here are the things that the UN is doing in the developing world that is uh, helping people throughout the world, like, I think there was one about malaria or the, the bubonic plague. I think I've talked about that one of just like, hey, the UN funded nurse uh, or the, the nurse who was trained by the UN is like, oh, this is bubonic plague. I learned about it through this and we're going to take care of it. Like that has been in this. I, I think it is uh, the, the I think the term is the Great Society project that Kennedy had. In, and we've talked about how like. Green Lantern and the Flash are science heroes in part because of that that wave of uh, can do, but more than that, like 
the belief that we can make the world better, that we have an obligation to make the world better, and that it ha it is coming from rationalism rather than from uh, like magic or anything of that sort. It's just like no, with with the application of science and determination, we can and service, we can make this work. And this this feels of a piece, at least in terms of the willingness to take a political stance and and be very very clear that this is political yeah it is it's very obvious it's very blatant and it is very clear in what stance it is taking anti-war anti-segregation yep uh the final issue we shall cover for this episode justice league of america number 41 december 1965 new villain uh this is great the key master whose eyes we will never see because uh, they are constantly in shadow um Keymaster is a guy who basically thinks that he has found the key to human control, effectively how people are manipulated. And uh, he's figured out a way to manipulate the Justice League to get them to disband themselves. And we see the Justice League disbanding, saying goodbye, never to become the Justice League again. And we find out that the Keymaster has used, through chemical means, uh shenanigans to get the justice league to follow his orders and the second stage to this plan is that now that the justice league are under his control they will ignore his henchmen as they kind of capitalize off of other crimes that are occurring that the justice league stops so for example the flash is stopping a bad guy and uh, he's stopping weather wizard from doing a thing while flash is arresting weather wizard Keymaster's minions are going into the museum that that weather wizard was trying to steal from and they're stealing the paintings that weather wizard was trying to steal and Weather Wizard's like, are you going to stop those guys? And Flash is like, what guys? Same thing kind of happens with different characters as we see that the Justice League is just not able to see the Keymaster's minions, even though they're very obviously dressed in, in black outfits with keys on them, and they're hard to miss. They look like putties from Power Rangers. Um, however, one person sees the uh, key henchman, and that's Hawk Girl, because she's out doing a mission with Hawkman, Hawkman is single-mindedly fighting the bad guy, and then the bad guy goes like, what about those guys? Are you going to arrest them? And Hawkgirl goes like, yeah, are we going to go after those guys? And Hawkman's like, what What guys? And that's when Hawkgirl decides that something is up. So she figures out that Hawkman has been manipulated through chemical means. She helps figure out what, it go what went on. They cure him, and Hawkman goes, I have to warn the rest of the Justice League, because clearly this was not what we wanted. Using his Absorbo machine which is the machine that they use in the first issue of uh, the Gardner Fox Hawkman reboot in, uh, the in the Silver Age. Check back on that episode if you want to find some silly technology that the Hawks used. Um, he finds the secret identities of the other Justice League members, goes to each of them individually in their secret identity, and explains to them what happened. And they all get cured, and they all agree that they want to reform the Justice League. And they go back to Mount Justice, which Green Lantern had thought he had destroyed, but really he rebuilt it after he destroyed it under Keymaster's orders, because he didn't know what he was doing. And they go and they attack uh, Keymaster, they defeat him, and uh, it was actually a good story. This had like good flow and good story moments, the action was pretty cool, um, everybody had something to do kind of a thing. Uh, in sort of the fight and you know Adam got used because they couldn't get through the shield that was protect that was protecting Mount Justice so they had to have Adam go through the phone line so he was their man on the inside was little things like that that were like ah this is 
not what we normally see in these stories. The big thing out of this, Hawkman now knows everybody's secret identities. And he wasn't mind-wiped at the end of the story like they normally are to prevent everybody from knowing their identities. So Hawkman now knows who all the League members are. And also, yay, Hawkgirl fucking save the day. Good for her. Good for Shaira. Point for her. Mm-hmm. So that is the end of our coverage for this episode. That is the years for the end of the coverage for 1964 to 1965, which means we will be starting to cover those two years in only now uh, series titles or uh, individual titles. Those last three issues were really good. Or rather, uh, four, if you count the two-part story. The last four issues were really good of that year. And it was cool to kind of see the evolution of storytelling and how, like, nuanced those stories could kind of get with a little bit more of a complex plot. Um, Not overly complex and not incredibly nuanced, but more so than Cosmic Entity has turned us into aliens. These were a little bit more fleshed out. Yes, Andrew Helm had a more complex backstory than the machine that he used. But that was kind of cool to see. Something completely different that brought us to where we were going. Um, the Keymaster was a new bad guy. That was cool. We got to see some different characters get in on the action and get used in ways that we didn't that we hadn't seen before. Or that were cool that they hadn't been used for before in previous JLA stories. The other issues, not so great. Not so great. Not not bad, but we've seen better. And when standing next to better issues, they definitely don't look so hot. Is is this the part where I talk about why I hate those early issues so much? Yep. So now it is it is now time. <laughs> you might remember on our last episode, I talked about something worrying that came up in, I think, three of the last like four or so issues that we covered. And it was what I've now come to call one-by-one moments where it goes one hero faces something and the same narrative plays out across each of the five heroes because it's structurally these stories are usually only spotlighting like five heroes at a time and the other five are doing something or maybe they become the villains of the piece that there is usually five heroes in each issue at a time uh but that means that i guess actually to to contextualize this a little bit better it it is specifically repeated narrative chunks it is oh this this monster is already like prepared for the thing i'm going to do uh the great example is the the dream bit uh let me actually double check my notes to make sure i'm remembering correctly but I believe that that is a good example. Let's see, that was... I'm pretty sure that's a valid example here, but they have the... they have the oh, Yeah, it's doubly so because they have the dreams, so you see one by one by one, they, oh, I am faced with this challenge, and here's how I overcome it. Great. Five times. And then they have the facing it in real life. Uh, and... It, the situation turns around on them five times. 
there is nothing different about the core idea of what happens in each of those little narrative chunks. They're often not even doing anything interesting visually or conceptually. It's not like, oh, wow, the way they overcome or are overcome by this challenge is interesting. It's just the same thing over and over again. And in part, in order to do it five times and not have it be 10 pages, it needs to be so succinct and immediately grokkable. It's just bland over and over and over again. Uh, and that is, for me, it's, it, it is absolutely horrifying. Uh, the amount of space it takes up and the blandness of it. Uh, it's a, it's a waste of page. Yes. And <laughs> I want to, cause there, there are two corollaries to this that just make it even worse. The first is a little quickie one. Uh, the fact that there is so much eating up page count, uh, means that there's less time for like supervillain monologue or super uh, situation setup. And we'll talk about like, I, I guess we kind of talked about how, uh, Arnold Hall, Hall, I don't remember his name. Uh, the guy Andrew who makes the, Helm. Yep. Uh, he, there is a bunch of pages spent setting him up in the same way that in the past we've had a bunch of pages spent setting up a supervillain. Here's what I did since I got out of jail last time. And when you have, 10 pages devoted to one by one bits you can't fit that in uh so uh the the other piece that just makes this even worse is there are stories where the cover has to be worked into the issue somehow and it's unrelated like this only happened like twice but the worst example of all of this is issue 33 uh or if it's not the worst it's pretty far up there there's uh Six pages of one by one where they're just trying to fight the giant, like, mon the, the mech uh, to gather energy from the uh, so that they could de alienate uh, the dude. Uh, then there's four pages of them fighting a beast stuck in time, like midway through. I guess this wasn't uh, the cover being worked in, but just a piece that didn't go anywhere. And then another six pages of them fighting and failing individually against the alienated JLA. So we've got what all told uh, 16 pages of either highly repetitive or utterly inconsequential stuff. Uh, and you just can't do interesting stuff if that much time is devoted to something things that are either inconsequential or you're not doing anything fun with them. Uh, and it's just blah, the pacing. All, all I need is better pacing. And all I need is better pacing because as soon as we stop having that, uh, actually the story about the handicapped kids is the first one that kind of starts to get away from uh, that. And immediately the pacing is just so much better. It feels like there is space to do interesting things like Johnny Thunder. That whole story is, yes, you have some individual combats between characters, but Either A, they're doing things different because it's like, oh, how does the JSA take out the uh, the evil uh, JLA, the replaced JLA? Well, sometimes it's there's a weakness, Martian Manhunter fire, but sometimes there's not a weakness. Batman doesn't have a weakness. How do you how do you beat Batman? So it's doing different things there, but crucially, it is those stories are focused on two characters as the primary piece that we then like jaunt out and come back to it's John, it's evil Johnny Thunder and the Thunderbolt. That is so much of the story that's grounding it. Uh, and I think I have written down, let me make sure I'm not incorrect on this, but uh, yeah, like 
the when they do the one by one they mix it up uh and also like they do the thing that i wish they'd done from the beginning sometimes the one by one is just a montage it's just a splash page that shows all the different things going on as little snapshots and it's great and i prefer that so much better yeah i think i think we mentioned it at the beginning of the episode if the montage was how they showed it yeah it is more it would be more movement towards the idea of show don't tell mm-hmm. and we are struggling with the fact that they feel the need to regurgitate information continually. These, a lot of these felt like, uh, the comparison I've drawn is an episode of a magical girl anime that's not like a season finale or anything. It's not a big fight where they're showing each girl's transformation in the full version. Like, there's a reason that there exists, like, those abbreviated versions where, okay, maybe you get, like, Sailor Moon gets the full transformation each time, and then you do, like, the very short abbreviated version of the other Sailor Scouts. Uh, Unless it's the big battle, if it's the end of the season, yes, let's, let's have the cool moment, everybody, all the way. These aren't this. It's just, well, between the intro and the outro and the transformation sequences that are reused uh, animation... You, we're just running up the runtime. <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That is, <laughs> that's a really good comparison, honestly. Let's see, and anything else you want to touch on on that specific piece? No, I think that's that. That is honestly the 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 most glaring affront in storytelling. And I'm so glad that we we get to close out on a positive note because once they go away, they don't come back. We're once uh, we get past uh, issue issue 36 is the their turning point, and we just don't get those one by ones as in their egregious form anymore. And that, it makes me very happy. Uh, the other things that I'm interested in talking about here's the thing that I should I wish I felt happier about. You kind of mentioned that there are a lot of callbacks to not just like previous villains. It's not just a reuse of villain. There's also a bunch of things where like, oh, that they mentioned this thing or this device uh, came comes back. There are a lot of editor's notes of as seen in blank. And I want to be more excited about them, but... By and large, they're not the ones that expand the universe in any interesting ways. They're not ones that, like, I guess if you wanted to put it, like, in a very direct way, they're not characters uh, in in the way that, like, the three demons from uh, the Felix Faust story, they're... There's nothing special about them as compared to if they were like a Sinistro story. Okay, we're going to see something interesting. It means something different when Sinistro's on screen. These are JLA opponents who no character has a special attachment to. They don't have a real history. It's nothing on the level of like, uh, I think it was a Mezo we had last episode. And that yeah. means something. There is a there's a thing there. Uh, but if it's just, oh, this machine showed up in the past or, hey, like Brainstorm is the closest we get. And Brainstorm doesn't have any special history with the League. Uh, they don't even they don't even lean too much into like the brother thing. They lean a little bit, but not much. It's mostly just, even, oh, yeah. here's an interesting character. And that's the best we get in this. 
and even then he's only really got a bead on Green Lantern the most. Yep. And that yeah, that that's exactly it. There's not much there cuz cuz the other side is Green Lantern doesn't care about this guy. It's entirely yeah. one-sided hate. <laughs> yeah. It is there's a difference between Starro, Kanjaro, Despero, and Amazo. All those characters who were league villains versus Captain Cold the Penguin, Pied Piper, and Shark show up. And now we've got five, you know, four people to fight four leaguers. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. They they are also just padding out the runtime instead of, like, driving the plot. Right. Versus a one person that the League needs to tackle themselves. Anytime that anytime we can get like one character squaring off against one villain, red flags go off in my brain. Other things, uh, model kits. Uh, so we have new ads. Uh, I talked last time about, I think last time I talked about uh, General Mills using Rocky and Bullwinkle and also like the the uh tricks rabbit i think and lucky charms and this time we're starting to get ads for uh like build kits of like hey cars uh, i think trains show up as well and it's like oh that's kind of cool i I always kind of take notice when the the ads change i don't think we've seen a uh tootsie roll pop or uh even just a tootsie roll in general uh ad in a little bit i think the other big thing that i wanted to talk about was the the world empathy story so it's mostly just expanding on what we've kind of already touched on it is fascinating it is both directly political and it is fascinating the choices that they make uh we already called out one that i found just oh okay uh and it was the uh calling out jim crow right acts in uh in the this out it is very clearly a uh, black couple voting uh and it is hard to read that as anything else uh but there's also uh there's also two things and i legitimately want to know who it was who put them in there because it is there there's a little bit of socialist like line of thinking in them uh and it is or at the very least, more leftist, more left than you see even among uh, liberal Americans. Honestly, sometimes even liberal Americans today, there's a piece where uh, Wonder Woman is during the everything pops off uh, portion of it, where everybody loses their conscience. Uh, Wonder Woman goes down to the global south, to South America, and basically like gets in between uh, a uh, peasants, uh, a, a peasant uprising and uh, repressive uh, police and goes after the dictator and basically hands him like a list of demands, one of which is the right to work. Like, and, and I don't mean that in like a union busting way. I mean specifically that uh, like she says, you have to follow these three rules uh, when you're interacting with people. Treat your neighbors as you would be treated. Yeah. Uh, third one is no laws that aid only the rich. Okay, and a job for every man. And it's just, 
Okay. All right. We're we're going there. Uh, and earlier on, uh, we we called out the Castro alike uh, choosing. Oh no, we we're not going to attack the U.S. and we're gonna di- we're gonna unilaterally disarm. And I was like, okay, yeah, of course you can talk about the uh, rogue dictators. All uh, sure. And then they, yeah, they talk about bilateral disarmament treaties between the U.S. and the USSR. Like they're not going so far as saying directly, oh, like the U.S. and USSR nuclear stockpiles are evil. They have absolutely dodged that in the past, uh, especially like the U.S. possession of nukes. They have, no, we're we're just going to have the USSR like offer to disarm at points and past stories. But in this one, they actually were having as a result of the the good machine they are positing the things the machine does does as good having bilateral disarmament be a thing or that at least is being worked on and i found that absolutely fascinating and yeah there's not a lot else in there it's just it was more willing to take a very direct stance than i expected and i appreciated it we haven't seen this level of statement yes in quite a while yeah and i guess it's worth noting that yeah it does kind of dodge things a little bit by the end of them like they effectively choose not to fix the maybe that's a that's a strong way to put it but there is no desire to fix or replicate the machine it is absolutely hey we have to people have to do the work uh and become educated and try to understand each other uh just so to some degree there's a little bit of a dodge of systemic change uh in favor of individuals changing but you know what it went further than i thought it would it was still the 60s yep uh the one other thing that i want to cover and then i'm done with my stuff johnny thunder first off i i really i really like those two issues uh and I had I had the look because the relationship that the relationship that the Thunderbolt has with Johnny Thunder and also with uh, evil Johnny Thunder, there's a read. I don't think it's correct at this point, but it would be very easy to fan fiction in uh, the Thunderbolt as the bratty sub. Because it is 100% that of, oh, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to push the buttons. I'm going to do what you say, but I'm going to push the buttons. And there is not a single Archive of Our Own story that actually includes Johnny Thunder as a character. <laughs> I did a search. There are times his name shows up. Usually it is from like a combination of Johnny and Thunder in different names. Like there's a Mortal Kombat uh, story that has a Johnny and a Thunder. Uh, there's a Brazilian web series that has a, a lot of results in there. There are times Johnny Thunder is tagged, but does not show up as a character. And I was very sad about that. It was very strange to see a character who, I mean, I don't think he exists in current DC stuff, but... I think he died recently. Okay. Recently. There, there you go. Like, Archive Re- of Our Own. Recent, recently, recently being the last 10 years. Okay. The... AO3, get on it. Yeah, where's our where's our Johnny Thunder Thunderbolt slash fic? Come on, internet. Um, I suppose with that being said, we should move on to recommendations. On my end, uh, I'm 
this is cheating, I think, because I feel like the past like three episodes or so, I've recommended something Gundam. I'm gonna recommend something Gundam again. I'm watching Zeta Gundam because I I finished uh, original Gundam Gundam seventy nine and just went directly into Zeta Gundam because it is even though there's like ten years between those two series, it is the honestly it seems like it's the core of the story that winds up getting told in universal century gundam it is much it is a bunch of politics it it is much more interested in the political factions than original gundam was uh go watch original gundam gundam zeta gundam is 80s it has a whole lot of like saxophones it is styles everyone is wearing like sleeveless vests uh the one of the characters who I'm not going to name uh, just because that could be a spoiler has cool sunglasses at all times. Uh, Perfect. It is. It is quite a lot. It is very 80s. It is very enjoyable thus far. Nice. Uh, I will recommend the Mafia remastered edition. Um, recently, 2K and Hangar 13 remastered. Mafia, Mafia 2, and Mafia 3 for the new consoles that came out, but they were also all available on Xbox One and PS4. Um, Mafia 1 was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. The The big thing to know about the Mafia franchise is it does not try to do the, the Grand Theft Auto thing or the Saints Row thing where there are multiple storylines throughout the world and you, you know go about this open world and while you're doing that potentially you find side quests. Mafia tends to tell a linear story that happens to take place in an open world. There are some mechanics that might encourage you to do things in the open world, but nothing to the point of like, oh, I went on a six-mission side quest and I have done... I've learned something new. Um, They try to stick more closely to a linear story or a linear narrative. Um, But Mafia 1 is really good, I think... Mafia 1 tries to do the traditional mob story thing, whereas Mafia 2 is very much a Scorsese movie, and Mafia 3 is a, like, a new age mob movie. Mafia 1 is a, like, Coppola, Coen Brothers mob movie, and it, um, game's been out for a while. I'm gonna tell you a bit of a spoiler, because if you've played Mafia 2, you know how the game ends. Um... But you you play a cab driver who effectively is brought into the mafia um, by virtue of just being around and being a, a dependable guy. And eventually he decides that he's going to turn on the on the family because they're gunning for him. Goes, uh, does time in jail for a while, but gets out. You know, his daughter marries. And while he is watering his lawn, um, about 20 years later, he is shot by the mob after they find out where he lives. Um in Mafia 2, you play the guys that kill him. Hmm. It's a good game. Um, not very long. Good. Uh, it's worth worth picking up. It's very well told. All right. I think that will do it for this episode. I'm excited because I have picked out the first new thing that we're going to cover, and that is Teen Titans. Yes. Um, but until then, we'll talk to you all next time. Hope you all have a wonderful time. We love you all. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
thank you, Gardner Fox, for moving away from the one-by-one storytelling and having some actual pacing. The last few Justice League stories had been much more enjoyable, a fitting send-off until we came back to the big team. For now, though, we were off to see a new team in our coverage. We were going to see the Teen Titans. <laughs> 